Are you ready for this? <laughs> Y'all. Y'all. Welcome back to Parenting is Political. Yo, 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 yo. I gotta come up with a jingle for this thing. Why have I not done that yet? I don't know. You could ask our daughter. <laughs> I know. She's really good at this. Anyway, I'm Mo. I'm Jasmine. And if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, we welcome you. My pronouns are they, them. She, her, her. And Z- and we have uh, two seasons worth of episodes that you can catch up on. But if you're new here, we like to talk about why parenting is political, why everything is political, really. Um, and this particular episode is going to be over codependency and parenting. Ugh. Ugh. Something that none of us have ever dealt with before. <laughs> jokes, jokes, jokes. It's actually really, uh, common. <laughs> it's, it's super common and it is, um, a social phenomenon pathology, Ooh. um, that is pretty near and dear to our hearts. Why is that? <laughs> you may be wondering, listener, uh, one listener. <laughs> um, so yeah, well, I guess we'll just dive right in it. I think, would it be helpful to kind of what we've done in other episodes of what our experience was with it or is with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. getting a little personal, sharing a little details, and then we can talk about it on like a, a bigger scale, less personal. What do you think about that? So, um, first we need to start with what does it mean oh, to be you're codependent? You're so right. Let's define this shit. What is codependency? What well, does that look well, like? Well, maybe you start with just your idea, experience, definition of it, and then we'll go from there. Okie dokie. Um, so the way I like the way I understand codependency is, um, there's usually... I don't know what the word is for it. I don't have all the words, but there's somebody in a, the relationship who I guess is the driving force who kind of yeah, sets yeah. the tone and the, they expect the other person to either fulfill their needs or um, do exactly kind of what they say or they'll be punished or mm. just a lot of really like unwritten, unspoken rules. Um, but if somebody does something that's outside of those rules, they will receive a different treatment or like I said, be punished, mm-hmm. whether that is like overt punishing or covert punishing. Mm. Um, and it's all in the name of like control, um, and manipulation. And like I said, getting certain needs met. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's devastating for the person who is on the receiving end of codependency. Usually ah! what I, what? No, that's okay. No, I'm doing the thing where I ask you what your perspective oh. is and then I, Correct it, because I'm a Virgo. Go oh, ahead. okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, but like the person who's on like the receiving end of it then is um, like conditioned to mm. like not. I don't know. Like they don't often have a lot of relationships outside of that codependent one. It kind of sucks them out. You're of, totally just thinking about people we know right now. Well, and my own self. <laughs> you asked what my own experience was, <laughs> and my own experience. This is what's happened. True facts. Is that I get isolated by the person who is driving that codependent nature. Mm, And I disconnect a lot from my community. What 
I don't know. I'm done talking. What What are you thinking? <laughs> what am I thinking? Because obviously so, I missed some points there. So for the folks who don't know, um, in addition to all the other things that I do in progressive movement work and uh, non-progressive radical movement work, um, I'm also a licensed therapist. Um, and I'm a person who has had deep experience with codependency and have actually worked recovery programs for my own codependency. And so I draw a lot of my experience through, or a lot of my definition through experiential, um, modes as well as, um, the clinical academic aspect of it. Um, so codependency is a survival thing for so many of us. It can be uh, a behavioral condition of an individual person or a relationship dynamic. Okay. And I think one way that my definition diverges from some of the things that you said was that you sort of framed it that there's a there's a giver and a taker and the taker is predatory and dependent upon the giver. But what we often don't talk about is that when two people, when there's a dyad of codependency or even just codependency in a larger system, the giver needs the taker and the taker needs the giver. And um, ultimately, it's about identity. It's about control. And it is about um, pleasing and affirmation. Okay. Yeah. So the person who has the behavioral condition in the relationship um, enables one person's need for control, rigidity, immaturity, um, however their needs come out in that problematic way. And then that person who is getting their needs met by the enabler um, continues to control and create the structure or the trajectory of the relationship dynamics um, because the person who is the enabler needs, needs to fulfill the needs of others in order to feel valid. So, but both both things, both parts of the uh, dyadic relationship, come from a place of poorly formed self identity and external locus of control. Mm. Meaning that you, you you need people external to you to control how you see yourself in the world and to validate how you see yourself in the world. And so that comes out in codependent performance of like always thinking about others. Um, and never taking care of your needs and then creating resentment and then feeling that, you know, the ultimate belief that you have that you're not good enough is now even more true because people aren't giving you the due props for sacrificing yourself or um, being in a marriage or a partnership or a romantic relationship where you are constantly sacrificing all of your needs and desires or even just prioritizing the comfort of the other person um, because choices that you make or needs that you have make them uncomfortable because they, again, don't have an internal locus of control of self-soothing and so they would rather control the environment or your choices rather than come from their own place of well-being. Oftentimes, codependent behavior um, is developed in environments at young ages whenever our primary caregivers are really chaotic and we don't have healthy attachment. And that could be because of mental illness. That could be because of addiction issues. That could be because of domestic violence. It also is something that develops because of oppression, a systemic uh, oppression. It, it behooves us 
to take care of other people, to create, uh, you know, um, harmony and homeostasis. And so, you know, we ultimately use it as a coping mechanism. We use this behavior dynamic as a coping mechanism to enact some kind of sense of control over our lives. And then when we become older um, and our relationships become more complex, it no longer serves us. Yeah. Was that helpful? Uh, Yeah, it was really helpful. Super, super de-duper helpful. Um, So this particular episode is talking about codependency and parenting. Um, So you were talking about a lot of those um, behaviors and mindsets Mm -hmm. and coping mechanisms to survive uh, often start early, kind of early on in life. Uh Um, So can you talk a little bit more about that, I guess? Like, what is the relationship with parents and codependency and creating this environment that yeah produces folks who well I think that oftentimes um people when they are introduced to the theory of codependency always go well my you know I I didn't have a parent who was an addict I I didn't super linked to addiction stuff right yeah right and it's and it's saturated in the 12 step program mm-hmm. and so people go well what about those of us who didn't have a parent who was mentally ill or have an addiction how did i become a codependent person doesn't make sense who am i co- like who usually people ask for or excuse me people frame it in the addict co-addict or narcissist uh prey mm-hmm. sort of binary but in so many cases young children who are um psychosocially hardwired to please their parents can easily become, um, can easily succumb to codependent behavior dynamics, um, just by being put in the place where they're a surrogate spouse whenever it's an unhappy marriage. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because it's not something that is typically talked about and people don't understand. But if you were in a relationship where one of your parents confided in you, and sort of treated you like a surrogate spouse because they didn't want to do the work in their relationship with their partners uh-huh. to address their unmet needs, you as a young person receive the message that your value is in taking care of the person who has more power than you. Mm-hmm. And by taking care of the person who has more power than you, you felt useful, you felt loved, you felt seen. Um and so it created habits mm-hmm. and, like, reward pathways in your brain. Yeah, absolutely. That resonates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that so, sounds familiar. So it's really important to debunk the idea that um, that it's primarily an addiction. Right. The other, the next step in building awareness around codependency and how it develops in childhood is um, with mental illness. Mm-hmm. If you have a parent who, again, we're psychosocially hardwired to take care of our parents and to make sure that our caregivers are stable because our survival is linked to them. So if you had a parent who was a super anxious parent and freaked out every time things got hard, you might have learned passively as a child to reduce anything that would cause your parents stress. Mm -hmm. And so you pathologically, you go into this like constant rhythm of I'm not going to upset I'm not going to make waves and and that's just impossible right like we all 
do things that are shitty. We all do. And so it becomes this like overperformance of you're controlling yourself so much so that you can control the environment so that you can keep your caregiver from experiencing a lack of homeostasis. Mm-hmm. And then you recapitulate. You um, replay those dynamics in other relationships that you have as you grow older. Yeah. So as that kid grows older, they learn that as long as they can keep their stuff internal and make sure that they don't upset anybody else, they, you know, that's a high risk of becoming somebody who's in a relationship that's really abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I always feel a lot of anxiety and stress around the conversation when we say like abuse, abuser, whatever. Um, you can be in a relationship that it is abusive and the person engages in abusive behavior without them being an abuser. An abuser is someone who over a long period of time with unrepentant, uh, um, an unwillingness to reform their behavior, being an abuser is different than being an abusive, you know, making abusive choices and having abusive behavior. Yeah. There's so it's important to delineate. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, like this ultimate need to keep the peace and it becomes just habituated. Mm-hmm. You you almost can't help it in so many ways. And what it results in is this underdeveloped identity. Um, and this lack of security and differentiation around being able to articulate what you want, what you need. So many people who are codependent have no idea what they even like. Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> because they're Because they are yeah. so attuned to everyone else's needs around them. They have no idea what their preferences are. And usually those people are in relationships where if they want to explore their preferences, they're not given the room to do that Mm -hmm. or they're punished or it's made to be so difficult for them to explore without the other person present um, or the other person being supportive that they don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So they just keep stuffing it down, stuffing it down. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had couples that... Uh, we we knew a person who their partner uh, decided they were lactose intolerant and didn't want to eat cheese and needed some support from their partner. And like, will you in solidarity not eat cheese with me? The person agreed, and then the the person who hadn't made the primary choice to not eat cheese had a little bit of cheese one day, and it was like a meltdown. Yeah, it was a whole thing. So that's that's a way more intense and violent um, example. But it's little stuff like that it all is. the way to big stuff of, like, you can't have friends unless they're my friends, too. Or you can't take that job because X, Y, and Z. Like, mm-hmm. I'll throw a fit about it, even though it's something that's, like, really great for your life. Yeah. And the other thing is that, like, whenever you're in a codependent, um, enmeshed relationship, you can't have genuine conversations about what's harming you. And we all, all harm each other in relationships. Yeah. Because then it becomes about the person feelings about how you said that they were harmful mm-hmm. and it all circles back to how that made them feel that you told them that instead of actually being able to address like the harm that happened yeah um it's like almost impossible to and, have there, that conversation. and there, so i guess the <sighs> useful like what are the takeaways what are the things that you suggest for people who are parenting and trying to figure out maybe some of their own codependency or let's start with what about the folks who are listening who are suspicious they might be codependent or they might be in a codependent relationship? Mm. You're asking me? Totally. Oh shit. (laughs) You know how I do with things like this. Um, 
So if they, they're not sure, but they think they may be. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm going to start from the viewpoint of the person who is going to be the giver. Because to be honest, I'm not super familiar with people who are the takers. Because I've always been the giver. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't really know how to speak to it from the perspective of somebody who is the taker. So from the giver's standpoint, if you think that maybe you're in a codependent relationship with somebody, I think kind of doing some of the things that you had just said about trying to figure out what you actually like and what you don't like. Um, So I'll guess I'll get personal with it. I'll kind of take my own journey and talk about how I realized that I was in codependent relationships. Uh, One thing in particular, I was in a really, really awful codependent relationship at the beginning of my college years um, to the point where if I tried to go and hang out with friends that I enjoyed, um, my girlfriend would throw a fit and would be like, well, you're leaving me alone and you can't do that. And then I would do it anyway. And then it would just be constant texting. Who are you with? When are you going to get back? What are you doing? Uh, To the point where I couldn't be present doing the thing that I wanted to do because she was blowing up my phone constantly. Yeah. And so even though she like, quote unquote, allowed me to go hang out with my friends, I wasn't actually hanging out with my friends because I was attending to her emotional needs constantly. Um, so that's just yeah. like one example. I mean, and that's a pretty aggressive and direct example. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to underscore that the majority of codependents, co- codependent behavior um, is pretty insidious. It's not as obvious as that. Okay. And it's it's like the frog in the pot what? analogy of where like <laughs> if you slowly turn up the heat by the time it's boiling, the frog oh. doesn't know. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. so much sense. So, I guess, there were, I guess, so there were probably things yeah. that precipitated her engaging in those behaviors that were like slow little tiny yeah, things. Totally. So that by the time she got to like texting you nonstop when you were out with friends and like blowing up your phone and becoming this like chaotic thing, it almost felt normal to you because there oh, had absolutely. been a slow build of all the other boundary violations oh, before absolutely. that. For sure, for sure, for sure. But I don't know. I don't know how to like say how do you figure out if you're in a codependent relationship or not i think you know the way that i started to unlearn my codependency was figuring out the things that i liked and i didn't like and then being able to like assert that and if the person i'm with is supportive of those things then it's not a threat to them and their control Mm -hmm. over me that's how i know that it's it's probably not a codependent relationship but in other relationships when i did try to do that and it was you know, suspiciously, every time I wanted to go do this thing on my own, they had already booked something for me to do. And I, and I had to go with them. Or, like, every time I wanted to decide that evening, this is where we're going to eat. It was, like, even small things like that, it was, like, no, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, just, like, super highly controlling, I guess, is how I started realizing these things, that I was in those codependent relationships. But some people enjoy that level of control. I, that's, yeah. And so it's hard for them to see yeah. that that it's it, that it creates really violent dynamics. Mm-hmm. Because it's all about consent, and that's so important here. Yeah. You might be into relationships like that. As a BDSM practitioner... I understand sub folks like, yeah. and some of my subs want to be told where to eat and what to do. Right. And that's like a whole thing. 
but it's about consent. It's about who actually has the power to say no. And when we're talking about BDSM culture in so many circles that I've been in, all of us who are doms are like, we really have no power, honestly. Mm-hmm. The sub controls everything. Yep. I mean, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. You know? And so that there, so it's not the same thing in codependency. It's like, if the homeostasis and the equilibrium of your life is dependent upon the comfort and well-being of the person who is the ple- is the has the most power in the relationship, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when the pleas are it's so complicated. It is really complicated. And I think truly the only I mean, when I truly started to realize how codependent I was was whenever I was in relationship or in community with folks who modeled healthy ways of communicating, healthy patterns of, like, relationship dynamics. And it wasn't until I saw that and experienced that that I was able to be like, oh, shit, like, I've been in codependent relationships my entire life. It started with my mom, and then it started with the people I was in friendships with. Mm -hmm. It started with the church. I was codependent with the church. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, in codependent relationships with girlfriends and... You know, it, it's it's vast and it's not just, it's not, it's just not simple, I guess, to explain. But it well, was. Well, I think it, a way of distilling it down is that how would I frame it? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I've been trying to figure that out. That if it's not about controlling, pleasing, or fixing, mm-hmm. like those are the three things that you look for. Like if the dynamic is about controlling, pleasing, or fixing, those are those are pretty good indicators that there's something off. Yeah. So with parenting, let's go back to our listeners who are maybe parents or caregivers. Are you in a codependent relationship with your kid? Ugh. Are you asking your kid to uh, take care of you to fulfill your emotional and relational needs? Um, are are they able to? exert their own self-identity and their own preferences without being punished? Are you allowing them to have their own voice, to develop their own likes and dislikes? Mm. Or, or are you so controlling that they start to learn, okay, I can't actually voice my opinion because it'll make the, my parent upset. And then I'll, you know, I'll be punished. So I'll just learn to be quiet. Yeah. One thing that I, you know, I constantly am saying in our relationship with our kids because we have one kid who is hypersensitive um, of every emotion that we experience. The thing I'm constantly telling her is, it is not your job to take care of me. Mm. I'm the parent. You're the kid. I will take care of you. Mm -hmm. And if that's the only thing that I can instill in my kid over and over and over again until she um, is able to understand that, then like... That's what I'm committed to. You know what I mean? Like, any time that I'm feeling overwhelmed or anxious or scared and she picks up on that, I can tell the things that she starts to do to try to take care of me. And I say, I don't need you to take care of me. I'll take care of myself and mm-hmm. I'll take care of you. And, you know, that that's going to, I feel like, affect her in such a positive way long term, even if it's really uncomfortable at first and she doesn't really know how to to deal with that or maybe stop it. Um, but I mean, I think that's something that's really crucial because I never had a parent that said that to me. Yeah. And I think we often condition our young people to be people pleasers through, through how we use our power to 
communicate to them that they need to make us happy with their behavior. Mm -hmm. And so one way that we have combated the people-pleasing dynamic in our family is focusing on connection instead of people-pleasing. Yeah. Um, so we, like, instead of meeting, you know, instead of expecting our kids or ourselves to abandon our own self-respect and identity to help the people around us, we talk about what are shared solutions of care, of mutual aid and community care. Um, it's, I'm, I'm not going to just say this to keep you happy and to keep the peace. I'm going to have brave conversations and connect with you through mm -hmm. conflict. That's another way that we do it. Open conflict. Oh, we do that all the time. Um, which makes so many people in our life <clears throat> uncomfortable. Oh my gosh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 how we build our intimacy, though. It's it's how we combat that false intimacy too. Another way that we help our kids move away from ideas around codependency is we don't expect them to absorb our preferences and desires. Mm -mm. We make it safe for them to be in direct opposition with us around their desires and ideas. Even to the what seems the smallest of things. Like, one of our kids loves Transformers. <laughs> loves it so much. Is that my favorite movie? Yeah. Or type of movie? Absolutely not. I think they're boring. The last thing <laughs> I want to do is watch two robots fight on my screen for two hours. No, I'm not interested in it. <laughs> do I force my kid to never watch them and only watch what I want to watch? Yeah. No. Sometimes I'm like, I don't really want to watch that right now. And I let you watch it last time. And this time I'm going to choose my own thing, but I'm not going to like dampen down mm -hmm. his love for Transformers. Yeah. Just because it's not something I like. So that's like a really, it may seem like a really silly example, but it's those small things that build up though to the bigger things. That if he didn't feel safe enough to be like, hey, I actually love Transformers and I'm going to watch it every day for Even the next two no years. Even though no one in the family wants to fucking do no it. No one wants to watch Transformers. What we do is we go, none of us enjoy that, but we absolutely support your pleasure around mm -hmm. it. And we don't force him into this place where he has to... Choose between choose. the care and acceptance of his family or his own identity. Exactly. And that's where codependency would stop him from being able to do that and so much about codependency really is just like shedding the parts of yourself so that you can be loved by other people yeah which is m my whole life oh baby <laughs> oh, oh, but it's true baby. oh i went there i did it i said it oh. and you know what's so sad is whenever we're dealing with codependent relationships and, and relationship dynamics in within a system everyone in the system is punished um you know, I've lost relationships because folks were codependent with one another. And, you know, when you're co in this codependent relationship, there's not room for other intimacy. Oh, absolutely That's, that's one not. thing that we haven't mentioned is that the power dynamics, in order to keep it so concentrated and to keep it from changing, it really is resistant to outside connection and mm -hmm. intimacy. Because outside connection and intimacy means that You'd have to distribute some power. Control, yeah. You'd have to distribute some of your control and your influence. And so it seeks either through direct or indirect tactics. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it could just be how the environment is set up, how it's structurally set up. It, it always keeps other people out or it keeps people in a place that is like a really superficial relationship. So if you're trying to dive deep into intimate places with people and you keep hitting a wall or they keep withdrawing and there's a, another, like there's another relationship 
where there's codependency happening, that's often why. It's mm-hmm. not personal to you. It's not that you're not good enough or you're not loved. It's because the person legitimately can't engage with you in that way yeah. because it threatens that dyadic enabler people pleaser kind of yeah. uh, kind of dynamic that's happening. You're you're a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, when people are in such abusive, toxic relationships, some of the ways that professionally we're recommended as clinicians to help intervene is to encourage them to develop deep dedicated relationships external and the more that those bonds grow outside of that primary codependent relationship it weakens the bond of the codependency yeah but the thing is that people who acknowledge their codependency and want it to continue are really sophisticated and well practiced at keeping people from having true community yeah um, and so isolation is a really big key. Yeah. And, and the most tragic thing that I've seen as a clinician is when the person who is the people pleaser role in the codependent relationship begins to blame themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, like, w- when they're at the point where they've been convinced that it's they're the reason why they don't have other close relationships, it's turned into a narcissist abuse cycle. Hmm. And it's really hard to break away from those. Absolutely. Totally, totally. I mean, this this episode has been all over the place, but it's it been a been. fantastic conversation. And I, I hope people so. hang in there with us around it. And I think, you know, with a lot of our episodes, this is this truly is scratching the surface. It's a, it's a jumping off point into a deeper conversation around it. And we don't have all the answers. We're not going to have this nice, neat, nice package of this is what it is and this is how how you recognize it and this is how you combat it because i mean that's not real life like you like you said in yeah. previous episodes there is no script there's no manual it doesn't it, it doesn't work it's not linear um it's not binary like there's so many different factors that are involved and it would be disingenuous to present to y'all something that is is something like that it's it's there's no i don't know map for this in a lot of ways and so um you know, if you do have questions after listening to this episode, if you're confused on something, if you want to talk deeper about it, feel free to DM us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. You can also email us at contact at parentingispolitical.org. Um, do you have off the top of your head any maybe resources or places to point any like mm. anything's on anything on Instagram, <laughs> any like accounts to follow that are really good or books to read or I mean Folks, usually the mainstay resource that people use is Codependent No More um, or Love is a Choice. And those all emerge from the 12-step tradition, uh, Melody Beatty. I'm okay with those things, but I think that it doesn't speak to the nuances around black, indigenous, POC, dynamics, queer people. I think it also doesn't take into consideration the structural um, yeah. systemic oppression that that often shapes these kind of dynamics and relationships. Um, on Instagram, I follow Marshall. I can't remember his name, but he, his last name, but um, he's a coach that I think his handle is healing codependency trauma, question mark. Um, and he has some really good resources. Okay. Obviously, therapy is useful, but honestly, um, if you're in a pretty toxic, uh, codependent dynamic, therapy could actually make that worse. 
Oh, what? Tell us more. Tell us more. Skirt, skirt. Because uh, therapists, particularly marriage and family therapists, are attuned to developing deeper intimacy and connection, moving toward one another, um, communication standards. And when, when you are engaging in those habits with a person, with people, with a, with a mm-hmm. dyad that is codependent, it actually increases the codependency and uh, subverts interdependency. Oh, yeah. Uh, oftentimes marriage therapists go, oh, we need to figure out how to create a shared space. And with codependency, it's too much shared space. Mm -hmm. You need to be differentiating and separating. And um, there are blind spots for clinicians because when you come in presenting with relationship issues, the solution is typically to move closer to one another. And that's the last thing that needs to happen. (laughs) Um, And so that's why oftentimes uh, therapists are not, um, they're, they're actually not as, powerful of resources around curbing codependent and calling out codependent behavior. Yeah, unless they're like a unless they're clinician a really that's really incredible, to it. Yeah, a credible clinician who has some um, of their own experiences or practices around codependency, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. because the first line of, of intervention for a lot of marriage and family therapists, you know, do you have a shared hobby? Uh, yeah, we literally have to share everything because <laughs> we're fucking codependent. <laughs> Or, like, we don't share everything because my codependent partner allows me a couple of things, which is never how any person who's codependent would frame it. No. They'd be like, so-and-so, you know, Mo encourages me to go on a bike ride every third Tuesday. Well, why the fuck is that the only time you feel like you can go on a bike ride? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Whatever. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, I hope this was helpful. Um... (laughs) I am sure that we're being way too hard on ourselves and thinking that it wasn't. So uh, we're just going to, I think we're going to end it here unless you have anything else you'd like to say. Oh, I looked it up. Healing codependency and trauma on Instagram. Okay. Is Marshall's site. Healing codependency and trauma. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay, cool. Okay, cool. I'll put those in the show notes for people. Yeah, and we'll share it on the Instagrams. On the Instagram. Okay, cool. So um, that's it. And that's all they wrote. That's going to be it. That's that on that. So until next time. (laughs) Bye.